introduction yesterday where I talked about those that went out and they either sank or they swam. A number of years ago, I was asked by an evangelical free leader to come speak at a church planting conference. And they, ass- they assigned me the topic for my closing lecture, this title, Swimming Without Sinking. And it was one of those talks that I had no idea what I was going to say. And the Lord finally gave me some insights just about two days before I was going to speak. At that first conference, all it had was the title and a blank page because I had nothing to send them. And I'd like to share with you that lecture as I conclude the church planting segment of this seminar. These are the seven most important things that I have learned in in 17 years of church planting. And there's actually an eighth, which we will elaborate later on. But I notice biblical principle for that in the Proverbs. You know, there, there are three things the Lord loves. No, four that he really likes. Following that pattern, there are seven things that I have learned. No, eight that are very important. And having said that, what I'm about to share is not as important as what the Bible says. Number one, prayer is not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. One of the first things that I did that was very right was to mobilize a prayer team. Not just people that would say they'll pray. People who really pray. You understand the difference, don't you? I remember mobilizing 25 people who said they would pray for me every day. And a few, a uh, couple years after doing that, I had one woman come up to me. And I was visiting her in her church. And her name was Mrs. Agbabian. She was about this high. And she was elderly. But she had energy. She came up to me and she started shaking my hand. And I thought that my shoulder was going to come out of its socket. And she kept shaking my hand with vigor like this. And she says, Bob, two years ago, you asked me to pray for you every single day. And I just want to let you know that I have been faithful. Woo! It sent chills up and down my spine. Because I realized she had been more faithful in prayer than I had been. Find the Mrs. Agbabians in your life and get them on your team. They may not live in your area, but get them on your prayer team. Mrs. Agbabian has since gone home to be with the Lord. The Lord replaced her with another woman. And she prayed for many years until the Lord took her home. Those people are very important in the process of church. Some of them may not even be able to get out of their homes. But they will be a spiritual energy behind your church plant that is unbelievable. Do you want to know how to keep them motivated and involved? Communicate with them. I now have a team of people that pray for me and a team of people that give financially and pray. And I made a commitment to them that I will communicate with them at least once a month. And I've been doing that now for the six plus years that I've been a part of this mission work. In fact, while I am here, I will need to write my monthly prayer letter and send it via email so it can get produced. So it will go out to those that are praying for me. Adults aren't the only ones that pray for our ministry. We have over 60 children that are mobilized to pray every day for our ministry. Children between the ages of 4 and 11 years of age. And my wife writes them a monthly prayer letter at their level. And I want you to know that they have one major request they pray for every month. And those 60 plus children are praying for you right now. And God takes very seriously the prayers of children. 
Don't forget mobilizing the entire body of Christ for prayer. Prayer is not preparation for the battle, it is the battle. How many of you have a prayer team of at least five people that you communicate with at least monthly? Can I see your hands? Good. Communicating with them monthly. Can I see your hands? Good. See, if you're involved in ministry, make sure you got the prayer support behind you. Because the prayer is the part that makes it happen. It's very important. Second, Oh, by the way, that, that quote comes from a, uh, uh, a Christian leader that's been good in prayer. So that's not my quote, that's somebody else. The next quote comes from a ski instructor. If you're not falling, you're not learning. If you want to learn how to ski, you have to be willing to fall down. If you always want to be staying on your skis and never fall, you will never learn how to ski. In church planting, you're going to fall down. The key is whether you learn from it or not. And you can learn as much from your mistakes as well as from your successes. What, what was it, uh, Thomas Edison, the guy that was involved in development of the light, Thomas. the light bulb, he went through thousands of substances before he found what he was looking for. And at one point he'd gone through 5,435 tests of something that didn't work. And he says, somebody said, aren't you discouraged? He says, no, not in the least. I have found 5,435 ways that don't work. I am 5,435 steps closer to finding the solution. You understand the, the process. That sometimes we have to be willing to risk something. May I suggest to you that, that one of the things I've observed from being with the Germans is that sometimes you want to get everything perfect and have everything all in order and have everything all thought through before you take any action at all. As an American, I admire your capacities to think things through deeply. As Americans Americana, don't, you know, Americans just act and then think later, maybe. I'm, you know, they just look at American foreign policy and you'll see that that occurs all the time. So I admire your capacity to think, but I would suggest that you might actually overthink. Sometimes you have to take a risk, and sometimes you need to act even when you don't have all the facts. What I'm saying is be willing to fall down. It's not the end of the world to make a mistake. I've made a commitment to try not to make the same mistake twice. My creativity in mistake making amazes me, because rarely do I make the same mistake twice but I continue to make mistakes all the time. And much of what I'm sharing with you, I have learned not just from success, but from failure. So if you're not risking, you're not learning. And so it'd be important to learn how to, to take a risk, make a mistake, learn from it, so you can do it better the next time. And eventually, if you do this process, God will show you what he wants to do. I have discovered that most powerful philosophies of ministry are not articulated in advance as much as they're stumbled upon through experience. You find out what God is blessing and you do more of that. Which leads me to the third key insight. Listening leads to effectiveness. Do you realize if you just go out and listen to people, you can learn an awful lot? There was an uh, American business book that was written trying to help America business recapture some of their competitive edge they've lost. And the most important thing I read in that book was just one little paragraph, and I'll share it with you. This guy said that I get thousands upon thousands of letters from my speaking, my consulting, and my writing. 
if I had one file that was called religious conversion, which was his terms, which is very interesting. This guy's far from a Christian. He meant by that people whose business practices were radically transformed. 50% of the letters would deal with one topic, going out and listening to customers. And another 25% would deal with listening to your own people. That fascinated me because this book was 600 pages long and 75% of the life-changing experiences happened off the concept of listening. This was driven home very much to me when I was traveling in Australia. And I was down in the island of Tasmania. Has anybody ever been there? It's not quite the edge of the world, but you can see it from there. And I was getting very hungry for Chinese food. And so I asked where the best Chinese restaurant was in this town. And I went to this Chinese restaurant and it was a wonderful meal. Very disappointed that there was no fortune cookie at the end. That's when I realized and began to learn that that's only an American Chinese phenomenon. There was my partner and I, and there were also at another table three Australian fellows that were eating. And we had a wonderful meal, and as we were getting ready to go out, one of the Australian fellows yelled out at us, uh, American, American, you guys are Americans. Actually, he said, bloody Yanks, bloody Yanks. Yeah, not nice, Yanks. And my friend said, yes, we are. And then he proceeded to tell us what he thought about the States. And what I could understand was not nice. Sometimes it's good to have a little language barrier. You know, you don't understand everything. <laughs> but everything that he said that we understood was totally true. My friend wisely said, you know, you're right. And there's also a couple other things we don't like about the States either. And he added two more things to their list. Now, that kind of shook them up a little bit. Because what they were expecting was for the American to whip out the little American flags that all Americans carry and start singing the Star Spangled Banner or something. And, and so the person says, why don't, you, why don't you sit down and have a beer with us? Uh, to which I said, I'd be happy to have a cup of decaffeinated coffee. You have to understand, American, conservative, Baptist. A German would just say, sure! <laughs> Sometimes I've wondered, you know, Jesus probably would have had the beer too, you know, but anyway. <laughs> but um, there we are sitting down, and we had some nice conversation for a while. And, and then after a while, he got hostile again. So what are, you, what are you Americans doing here anyway? My friend said, we're church consultants. Really? You get paid for that? We? Really? You get paid for that? Because ask any Australian, they'll tell you the church is totally irrelevant. And, and it says, no, actually there's people in the States that give us money to come down here and, and uh, our job is to help the Australian church to become more relevant. Now up until this point, I've been letting my extrovert friend carry most of the conversation. But then I finally joined in. And I said, you know, we're going to be going to five of the six capital cities in the next few weeks. And I'm going to be meeting with lots and lots of pastors and church leaders. 